Hello, and welcome to the Unique CPA with your host, Randy Crabtree. We're committed to creating a thriving community of accounting professionals who are physically and mentally healthy, fulfilled, and energized by their work. Our ultimate goal is to elevate the reputation of the accounting profession and vastly improve the lives of those in it. The Unique CPA is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is Chase Berkey. Chase is the co-founder of Dark Horse CPAs. He currently serves as the president and CEO. Dark Horse is a, by all accounts, top 500 CPA firm, maybe making it to the top 400 range this coming year. Chase himself was listed uh, this past year in CPA Practice Advisors 40 Under 40 and was a finalist for AACPA's Innovative Practitioner of the Year. Chase, welcome to the Unique CPA. Thanks, Randy. Happy to be here. First question is, what the hell is Dark Horse? That's a fair (laughs) question. Uh, So Dark Horse is really a platform CPA firm. And what we do is we provide really everything that you would possibly need to be able to run a firm, to be able to start a firm from scratch or to be able to scale it, you know, once you're existing, it's really, you know, serving the entire life cycle. So it's not just about growing from zero and it's not just about maintaining or growing, you know, from an existing practice. Uh, So branding, marketing, technology, staffing, you know, systems and processes, technology, all the things that you need to do, you know, to run a firm that distract you from client service, you know, distract you from advisory work and growing that practice. So I I need to know more because to me, it sounds like you're a company that supports other CPAs to help them grow their business, but they're really growing that internally within Dark Horse, right? How is that that relationship work with someone, hey, I want to build my business, whether I'm starting up or whether I have an existing, uh, a Dark Horse is going to help me. Is Dark Horse themselves actually doing taxes and accounting and payroll or, or you personally, or, or how is that relationship? Why does somebody come in with Dark Horse? Yeah. So, I mean, it is a paradigm shift because as a leadership team, our customer is the CPA uh, versus the traditional partnership where the client is a customer, right? So, you know, really all of our focus is on supporting the growth and development of our CPAs and their staff members. So, you know, we're a C corporation. um, So everyone is W2. uh, So that's kind of the general structure. Uh, We do a lot in terms of stock options uh, for folks to be able to buy in at all levels, uh, you know, to uh, have that level of ownership in what we're doing. Uh, And a lot of it's performance-based, as is compensation and all of that. It really is, you know, a a different way to look at a CPA firm, you know, instead of trying to control quality from seven levels of review, um, you know, our mindset is more, let's give folks the tools and the resources, you know, and the platform to collaborate with other CPAs, uh, you know, to be able to get quality right on the first go, as opposed to trying to fix it on the back end. So yeah, in a lot of ways, it's just, you know, we like to call ourselves the anti-CPA firm. <laughs> and I like it and I'm getting the hang of it. Mm-hmm. It is a total st- change in from structure, which I love. 
I mean, I've talked, Blake Oliver from Cloud Accounting Podcast, he and I have talked about, you know, structures of CPA firms. Do they need to change? I think that's a hot topic with him. Daniel Hood from Accounting Today posed the question, do we need CPA firms, you know, kind of as a, hey, he just wanted to get people's reaction. So I think there's the thought process out there uh, that it needs to happen, but you're you're making it happen, which is the awesome thing. I still want to kind of understand that what's your typical is there main two models one is i have a firm already and i need help so i come in and is another is hey i want to start a firm so i reach out to dark horse and they help me are those the two main ways people come in with you yeah so two pathways to become a principal of the firm which you can think of as a partner in a traditional partnership one is through our accelerator program uh, where folks are typically at a manager, senior manager level at a traditional firm, and we build them from scratch to six figures in a couple of months. Um, we're essentially utilizing the marketing engine that we've created through uh, digital means that are driving qualified inquiries uh, through our website, phone call, you know, a number of different sources, coaching them up on how to have that conversation. Uh, you know, we find a lot of folks have never really been in that seat when they join us. You know, maybe they've uh shadowed a partner you know while they've done some of that biz dev work you know and have kind of observed some of that stuff by osmosis but have never really had the opportunity to operate in that seat um and if they have have had no training on how to do that um so one of our vps is uh kind of god's gift to sales in my opinion and so he's able to work with them to really help them find their voice help them articulate their value you know, make sure that they're, you know, having the client or prospective client feel heard and just really the nuts and bolts of how to do that. And then reviewing with them, you know, reviewing recorded calls, you know, so you can get into the X's and O's, you know, this is what they were asking, you know, even though they said it this way, this is how we want to approach that. All that to say, we work very closely uh, with those accelerators, you know, while they're growing and developing uh, professionally and growing their practice. And so as a result, they've been able to grow really quickly. Some folks have gone through the program in as little as three months. Others take closer to a year or somewhere in between. But once they get to a certain revenue level, then uh, that's kind of the benchmark. Uh, there's some other criteria, but uh, where they're eligible to become a principal. On the other side, it's existing firms, you know, typically in the sub $2 million space in terms of annual revenue that you know has hit a ceiling in terms of their growth and a lot of times that also means the owner or partners in that firm are working a lot um, you know because of staffing because of systems and processes because of technology because of all the myriad things you know that could be better and that they're trying to handle the best they can and also trying to serve clients and also trying to you know develop their staff you know to rise up to that next level. So they merge their practice into Dark Horse um, and, you know, take advantage of what we've built, you know, and take a lot of the stuff they were doing off their plate and have access to the better technology and all that sort of stuff. So um, in a lot of ways, you know, it's really, like I said before, a life cycle sort of thing. You know, this is meant for long-term relationships. It's not, you know, something where we want to buy someone's book and then kick them out, you know, our, again, our customer is a CPA. So if they're not there to service their client and there's no transition plan for those clients, 
we don't really want the clients because that's not our customer. So then in this situation, these two scenarios, let's say you're buying the or merging in a firm. Mm -hmm. Are they principal immediately or they still have to hit certain criteria that you've set up? Uh, no, they're, they're principal immediately. Um, okay. They get a stock option award. Um, and then there's an annual grant formula too. Uh, but we vet very hard before we merge into practice. Um, you know, and there's been a number of practices we just haven't merged in because it wasn't the right fit. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's a long process and it's also a lot of moving parts in the transition, you know, from migration of data to client communications, you know, so on and so forth. So it doesn't happen overnight. I'll just put it that way. So when you say migration of data, so when they come in, are they switching everything over to the technology that you're using, the software platforms you're using? Exactly. Yep. All right. That has to be a pain. <laughs> or is it not? <laughs> um, well, it's a pain for the for you guys. team. It's probably also <laughs> yeah. a pain for them, you know, because we can't do everything for them, you know, in, yep. in that transition. They've got to be actively involved. Um, but, you know, we're actively building out better systems and processes and staffing exactly. up, you know, so that we can take more of those firms on and not have to, you know, kick the can down the road for capacity. And, I, and I, when I say pain, it's just that that transition. And, and, I, and I honestly shouldn't say that because... This is what I hear too often. Uh, there's just I'm gonna I'm not gonna spend 50 hours implementing this new software, <laughs> even though in reality it's gonna save me 2,000 hours over the next three years or whatever. But yeah, I can't spend that 50 hours now, and that's unfortunately a mindset in our industry. I feel way too often. So so I don't want to put this impression out there that putting software in place is a pain because in reality it is going to make you so much more efficient at what you're doing. Right. And I assume that's one of the benefits that you all bring or why they come in is because of all this behind the scenes uh, support you have from a software and processes and everything else. Yeah. I mean, there's an easy way to free up some of that time. It's raise prices on your clients, fire the bad ones, you know, oh, yeah. do the pruning you should have done to open up some capacity, you know, for what you think you don't have time for. Um, you know, and I was actually just talking to one of our principals yesterday who we had about a year to a year and a half worth of courting, you know, and it was constantly like, I'm too busy right now. I just, I can't even get, wrap my head around doing something like this. And now talking him, you know, to him in retrospect, he's like, I should have done that a year sooner, right? Because oh, yeah. it's not like anything got better during that year, year and a half. You know, I just kicked the can down the road. Exactly. And 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 everybody thinks, yeah, I just need that year. I just need this. I get my to-do list is gonna shrink if I just have more time, if I just put in more hours, if I just work, you know, twelve hours a day. And it never happens. It's a fallacy. Yeah, it's a definite fallacy. So, so yes, anybody listening, don't put it off. If you think of something like this, whether it's technology, whether it's dark horse, whether it's a change in processes that you want to do implement. If you're not doing those things in the here and now, you'll never do them. And if right. you do, it'll be way too late. Yep, exactly. All right. After that tangent, let me go back for a second. The accelerator is the brand new one. Mm -hmm. So, is this ever a, hey, I'm training this new person in Accelerator to how to run a business and we're going to show them all the tools and the technology and then put them off on their own and they leave? Or is it always, hey, no, you're here in Dark Course and the whole goal is you're going to you know build this practice. We're going to help you. And now you're going to be a principal, you know, three months to a year down the road. It's, it's more of the internal, not let's train them and let them free <laughs> or let them go. Hey. 
Yeah, I mean, more the former versus the latter. But so essentially, once they you know get promoted to principal, there's a buy-in from the book of business that they've built. But once they pay off that buy-in, they're free at any point to you know take that book of business into their own corporation, merge it elsewhere. Um, you know, we're not here to chain them to dark horse. We want it to be the market is telling us where our value is. So right. if they don't see the value, you know, we're providing, you know, versus the, you know, profit split formula, you know, then shame on us, right? We should have provided more value so that they're, you know, not, you know, wanting to leave. You know, we're not going to solve for you know, issues of ego, you know, if it's gotta be you calling the shots, your name, you know, on the firm, like that's, we're not going to solve for that. Right. So there's some things we won't solve for, but generally speaking, you know, we're very confident that the value that we're providing now and what we will be able to do, you know, over the coming years is going to be far more value than we're actually capturing. Yep. All right. So I get the concept now better. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. I love it. I mean, this is my opinion. I don't know if you agree, but I think we are a little bit in a crisis mode, maybe not even just a little bit as a profession right now. And not only as a profession, but just in general. I mean, right now, obviously, you, you know, I mean, there's not as many people going into accounting degrees. People are coming in and they're leaving. We have this perception and slash reality of a high burnout profession, which I, I know we can change, and I know you believe that as well. But without accountants, a lot of things can get, I mean, we need accountants. So it's not just a profession that's a little bit in a uh, mm-hmm. dilemma right now. It, it could be the economy without accountants. Maybe I've got a high opinion of ourselves, but I believe it. <laughs> Yeah, no, totally. I mean, there's a reason we are employed, you know, by businesses and individuals. We serve a very critical function in the economy. Right now, it's easy to look at, okay, the supply and demand factor, you know, there's way more demand than there is supply for services. So we're going to jack up our rates, live high on the hog. But there's going to be a time, maybe three to five years from now where technology uh, gets to a point where it compresses and marginalizes compliance work and more non-CPA firms are able to enter the space. And then that talent equation is balanced out by the non-traditional firms that are able to service at least that compliance need. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of an interesting inflection point we're in, right? It's like there's not enough talent right now. There's a lot of clients, yep. we can charge what we want. So the end result for partners is they're making a lot of money, right? Because they've got pricing power. But when you look at where we're going to be in some number of years, it's like if you get high on the hog and just comfortable, you know, and all of your work is compliance oriented because it's high margin and you're just turning and burning, you're going to find a rude awakening when those fees start to come back down to earth and maybe go below historic norms, you know, after inflation. Yep. And you haven't set up your practice for advisory and the skill set you need to be relevant in the future. Well, that's a good segue because I was going to ask about the types of services then. I mean, traditional CPA firm, but I'm assuming this is, I'm making an assumption. I should just ask the question. You're not a bill by the hour firm. No, I mean, there's certain circumstances where we do, you know, just because it's hard to, for example, flat price an audit 
not knowing if it's going to be a hundred hours of work or five, right. you know, depending on who the auditor is on the other side and what level of sophistication they have and how deep they're going to go into certain things. So some of it is hourly billing, you know, just because there is no way to either value price it or to accurately predict our time, yep. but 90 to 95% of the work is value price. Value price. How about subscription? Is that come into play? Is, is that part of the value formula? Yep. Yep. And, you know, we're endeavoring to move more and more towards that, right? Because it's just a lot less transactional, you know, when it's once a year, when it's something that's hitting their account monthly, you know, it, it requires you to constantly be adding value to their situation. So we want to make sure that <laughs> these subscriptions aren't a payment plan for an annual invoice, but they're rather you know, an ongoing set of services. So you just sounded like Ron Baker there. Have you, have you read his new book or? Uh, I heard him talk recently and he was able to put into words what was in my head there. So yeah, Ron's great. He obviously is, he's looking to change the, the profession as well. And uh, he was on the podcast recently. He's been on a couple of times, but actually spoke at our conference too, but I always just enjoy speaking to him or listening to him. He, he has some great insights. He's able to instill truth in a way that is kind of like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> someone else says something differently, you know, but is the same thing. You're like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he's, he's got a way about him. Yeah, he definitely does. All right. So uh, you just mentioned we were talking, we just segued into pricing or, and you were talking about the, the billing. I think you were working there too. Is this then when you set these up, are you billing people monthly then? Is this automatic payments? You're not waiting for checks. You know what's coming in each month. How do you, how do you handle billing? Yeah. So, I mean, we've got a best practice way that we, you know, push people towards, but there's a level of autonomy that folks, you know, are afforded at Dark Horse. We don't want to um, control and micromanage how they run their practice because that's a big differentiator for us is as opposed to merging into a large traditional partnership where you become really middle management, even if you have yep. a partner title, you know, this is about, you know, you being able to still design the lifestyle and you know the clientele and how you're going to work with them where we've gotten i guess maybe more sophisticated uh through experience is just that there's a certain lane that we need people to operate in you know from a technology and systems and processes standpoint because if we want to leverage the collective and add value to everyone's practice we've got to have people doing things in a consistent fashion, you know, so that we're not doing one thing that helps two practices out and helps no one else out. Okay. Um, so we've gotten more towards, you know, the side of getting people marching kind of the same direction. But when it comes to billing, you know, our best practice and the way that we are coaching our accelerators uh, and our existing folks is ignition, get the payment up front, okay. <laughs> automate it. Right. Right. All right. That makes sense. I think that's definitely the way to go. And and I probably should have went this way a little sooner, but let's go back again then to when people want to be part of Dark Horse and your leadership team, your client is Dark Horse or the people coming into Dark Horse. And I guess first question is how many people are just concentrating on building the or supporting the Dark Horse, you know, advisors or individuals? Yeah, our leadership team, I think is eight or nine of us right now. And that has doubled, you know, in 2022. So that's going to continue to grow, you know, as the 
business economics allows for it, um, you know, and having people, you know, in more defined roles, you know, because when we first started this, we were all wearing a bunch of different oh, hats, you know, so yep. as time goes on, you know, wearing fewer hats, but uh, always a dark horse hat, right? <laughs> I was going to um, ask about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, making sure that they're the expert in their area, you know, so then give that next level of support, uh, you know, to our accelerators and principals. Okay. And then I want to talk about then that support team. What are the, the support items? I mean, you're bringing in, and I read, and you talked about, you know, inbound sales too. You're, you're bringing business to them. So why don't we talk about business development then? How are you doing that for these people or are you in general? Yeah, so it's a heavy digital focus. So we've spent a god awful amount of money on our website, and <laughs> that's um, a technical term, right? Yes, that's okay. Okay. Uh, quantifiable, I believe. <laughs> uh, yeah, so a lot of money, more than I would care to, but nonetheless, <laughs> you know, these things uh, aren't cheap and they don't happen overnight. Right, they require a ton of your involvement you got to have a reason for it, right? Most CPA websites are a glorified digital business card. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so we've built the website in such a way that communicates who we are, who we work with, how we can solve, you know, folks' problems. Also, you know, making sure that they're aware of what our pricing is. It's not going to be exactly this is the price, but it might be a range. But making sure that the price shoppers of the world that are just looking for the lowest price are pushed away from us by what they see there. So we're really dialed in on the SEO and uh, paid advertising side to make sure that the sort of inquiries we're getting are the types of clients we want to work with, then making sure that they get directed in our website to what our pricing is, how we work with clients, you know, so that the folks we're going to object to that are not wasting our folks time in those initial consults. So, you know, essentially our accelerators uh, for the most part uh, are on a rotation of taking these inbound inquiries. So, you know, people are inquiring through the website, setting up initial consults. We're stepping them through the game plan of how to do those, you know, proposing, engaging kind of the whole thing. Right. So in a lot of ways, you know, there's, that's kind of the majority of how they're building. But then there's obviously tons of referrals from clients, from other principals who have something that came to them that they just isn't in their wheelhouse or something they want to do that they're sharing with everyone else. You know, So it's really about reciprocity and um, collaboration. And it's not just referrals and leads, but it's I don't know anything about inside versus outside basis in a partnership. You know, I'm going to ask a question and then someone who does know that and say, hey, I've dealt with this. Here's a client. Take a look at their tax return, the work papers, you know, and then let's get on a call and address any questions you have. And so it's super important that the folks we bring into Dark Horse, and this is part of our evaluation, whether they're an existing firm merging in, an accelerator candidate, you know, or even... Um, you know, someone who would support a principal is making sure that they're very much aligned with participating first and consuming second, meaning if everyone's orientation is around helping and providing answers and insight, then there's a lot more to go around for everyone. So, you know, if you're someone who wants to come in and just consume that and not actually participate in that conversation, just not a good fit. Right. 
more collaboration, more, you know, sharing ideas, more helping each other out. Because it's a big thing that, you know, any small firm, especially when you're first starting out, struggles with. It's, you know, accounting and tax are such vast fields that it's like feeling the obligation as a general practitioner to perform a colonoscopy. It's like, could you learn how to do it? Maybe. Uh, Should you? Probably not, right? But you know, we're held to a different standard just because there's not enough awareness, you know, from the the public in terms of, you know, like an attorney injury law is one type of law, right? You know, employment law is another. And, you know, people know is like, if you're not in that area, they shouldn't go to you. They don't have that awareness of us. But so the point being that to be able to have other folks to collaborate with, you know, and if it's something that, you know, you can't just learn from them, you know, in an hour or two, you know, you might joint venture it and say, hey, I'm going to have this person come in and help me on this engagement with this element, you know, so you're not in a position where you feel like you might be, you know, subject to a liability claim or just not serving the client well and having to turn that business away. Okay. Then that, and that's a good point. I was thinking this question then. So, that collaboration, all that, when these businesses merge in, I mean, it almost sounds like they're building their own business, but it's not. We're still all working together. This is not, we have segregated 10 different CPA firms within Dark Horse that are running independently. It's still a whole team effort, right? And how do you yeah. how do you create that then? It's just the atmosphere you guys put in still. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a blend, right? Because ultimately, as a principal, you're responsible for your clients, your supporting staff members, you know, that doesn't go away. It's not like we absorb Yeah, that. And, and sorry to cut you up, but I'm old, so I'll forget this question. <laughs> Support the, your staff. Do you have a specific staff or is staff shared between all the principals? So the way that it works, generally speaking, is that uh, our folks have dedicated support team members. So, you know, there's it's less of a pooled approach like it is at a traditional partnership where, you know, one person might do stuff for 10 different partners. Um, you know, you have fully dedicated folks that you're the one who's hiring, right? We're not placing them for you because it's got to be a good fit for your practice. Okay. Um, but that's on their PL. They're responsible for managing, developing, and growing those folks. We help them in that process because a lot of times it's an underdeveloped muscle for folks because they don't see it in a traditional accounting firm. All they see is, you know, someone tells me to do something, I do it, they give me review notes, I get an annual review and I got to just figure my way through this, right? And there's so much more that goes into developing people. Okay. So I sidetracked this. You were going down the line of uh, of these uh, principles and how they run their practice. I think that's where we're going, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, they're responsible for their practice, right? But we're one firm with one mission. So it's a bit uh, along the lines of, okay, you might be a state but you're still an American, right? You might be a Nevadan like I am, but I'm still an American, right? And I don't discount what's important to the country because it's not specific to my state. So it's a similar dynamic in that regard. And everyone participates in the whole, you know, they've got stock in the company that has a value attached to it. We have a 409A done and people can see that grow. There's a financial incentive to be tied into the firm at large and also to be a part of where we go, right? Uh, So for example, we had... We identified that there was a huge bottleneck in everything that 
led up to being able to prepare a tax return. So all the back and forth with requests, with follow-up questions, so on and so forth. So we got a committee of our principals together and said, hey, we need to solve this. And driven largely by them, we were able to source the right SaaS company to solve that. Um, and we spent, I mean, between our team and their team, maybe 750 to 1,000 collective hours, you know, getting this to a point where it was asking the right questions in the right language with the right automated touch points and follow-ups and automatic exporting where it needs to go. Um, you know, so the folks that volunteered for that committee, you know, got to be a part of shaping the offering and what we're doing here. We even give a RSA to uh, the principal who was really leading the charge there. So, All right. So I'm getting so many questions running through my head right now that we could go on for, for 10 hours, I think. But I, I want to hit some of these in addition. One, first, how many principals are there? So, well, as of February 1st, which will probably be in arrears by the time folks are listening to this. Oh, yeah. Um, we'll be at right around 30 at that point. Okay. All right. And that's and how many people overall? A hundred people overall. Um, we've got twenty-five of those are in the Philippines. So we've got a actual corporation over there. So it's not just through, you know, a uh, outsourced agency, so to speak. And we're looking to build a service center there as well so that we can have a supplementary source uh, for folks to get kind of that core bookkeeping and core tax work done as well as training folks from the ground up the way that we want them to be trained so that our principals could then hire them out of that service center and have someone who's a lot more plug and play. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, I mean, so many firms, big and small, are looking at that offshoring outsourcing. Uh, and I think it's going to be extremely important. I, I love the, the way you guys are doing it with your, I've talked to other people that have their own separate firm or practice set up in the Philippines or in, in India or in wherever. I'm just not sure from a tax standpoint, if that's a pain in the butt or not for you guys. But uh, we've got, uh, fortunately, we've got a company that handles all of that compliance stuff because yeah there's a lot <laughs> yeah i'm sure there's a lot um all right so i want to go back to this whole the 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 principles and their practice within the practice i don't know if i'm saying that right but but kind of that's how i'm envisioning yeah. it mm -hmm. and then tying that in with the back to where we were talking about uh business development of these 30 principles i'm assuming they obviously all have different skills different passions of clients they like to work with different industries basically their niche do most of them have a niche expertise and then when these sales come in or these potential uh new clients are we somehow addressing them to hey here's our real estate expert we should get that over there or it's the first question is niche is that a thing yeah uh, but i will say very few people come to dark horse with the established niche or even knowing what they want that to be. Um, a lot of them just come in as generalists, right? And then it's it's a matter of, okay, I've been exposed to a lot. What am I most passionate about? You know, where can I add the most value? You know, who do I love serving the most? You know, and then developing a niche out of that more general book of business. Um, one of our, actually our first accelerator uh, that we hired back in 2019 when we were really in our infancy stages, um, decided that his niche was gonna be cannabis. So we're launching 
a full website around cannabis um, with separate branding and all of that, you know, to support his endeavor into that space, um, you know, and making sure we're driving the right sort of traffic his way. So, yeah, I mean, it really, as time goes on, it's, it's going to be more of a collection of niche, you know, there's always going to be generalists, but it'll be a collection of niche that services, you know, the broad swath of clients out there. But, you know, if they're in cannabis or if they're manufacturing or whatever the niche might be, they click into that and then it's the principle or principles that support that we're directing that traffic to. Okay. And then one other question then around niche, because, you know, we have a lot of generalists as well, but I mean, being a tax even generalist is a lot different than being an accounting generalist. Are they building their book doing both or do they have experts that support them? I mean, I hate audits. Um, I think you grew up as an auditor. I do not like auditing at all. I don't like counting at all. I like taxes and they're completely different in my mind. I mean, how do you handle that within these principles books? Yeah, I grew up as an auditor, but I rebelled against uh, my auditor parents, so to speak. Um, so we actually don't do any audit or re- review or any attest work. Although we have some folks that do some level of that in a separate entity. Yep. Uh, but as Dark Horse, that's not what we okay. put ourselves out there to do be- for a lot of reasons I could dovetail into, but I won't. Ah, so what you're doing is you're already setting yourself up for a private equity company, huh? I mean, <laughs> I'd rather... <laughs> I, I figured that... You only have to answer that. We can cut this no, out if you want. I, I mean, I'm not you know, so interested in private equity just because I don't feel like I have real clarity on what the ultimate vision is of that. Agreed. But Agreed. I do have a lot of interest in IPOing at some point. So, Okay. Okay. And that's, uh, do you need that for that purpose? Would you need to have the uh, test work separated from? Yeah. I mean, CBiz is kind of the uh, template of that um, where they have their audit practice separate from, you know, their, the rest of their work. Um, right. And so, you know, that's really what private equity is doing in a lot of cases, right? Because they can't invest in the, you know, CPA firm, the attest side right. of it anyways. So uh, that's kind of becoming the, any capital, you know, that's coming into CPA firms, whether it's private or public, you know, needs that structure. Uh, fortunately, we don't have to parse those things apart because we don't have, uh, you know, right. the test practice, but. Okay. All right. And that's it. I was thinking private equity when we were talking earlier, too, because when you're talking about three to five years, when everything becomes, you know, so automated and, and, and certain things that you need to be more of an advisor. I think private equity is that's one of the things that they're going to accelerate because they're obviously going to spend money on, you know, being as efficient as possible because that's what they do. And so to compete you know, we need to be doing the same from a technology standpoint. So I feel like I'm jumping all over. It's just that I'm so intrigued with what you're doing. Um, I'd love to dig into more of the technology as well, but I don't know if we have time for that. I mean, obviously you have a, a, a set of, of software packages that you, you know, transfer everybody into when they come into Dark Course. And um, do you want to, you know, expand on the technology aspect and how that helps you guys? Yeah, I mean, it's... Obviously getting the right apps, you know, that's a good or major component of it, right? So you're working in the best in class app as opposed to a Thomson Reuters suite or a CCH suite. Uh, Not to 
throw shade at them, but you know, typically they've got one product they do really well, which is oftentimes their tax prep software. Yep. Um, some apps they do okay, and then a lot of just garbage, to be frank, right? So, but people will get into those suites because they're integrated and they don't have to yep. find the other things, the other apps to supplement that. Right. So, you know, we feel confident with the core apps we have. And we got to those apps, not by just saying, ooh, this is a good one, ooh, this is a good one, but more so from the standpoint of designing what our workflow is, what it should be, what apps are going to support that where in the journey, you know, to make sure that we were looking at it from that standpoint versus trying to reverse engineer that on the back end by getting the apps we thought we needed and then realizing, you know, it wasn't the ideal stack for how we're trying to do our work. Um, but it's so much more than app selection, right? It's getting the apps customized to do the right things. You know, very few apps work the way they need to off the shelf. HubSpot is a great example of that. If you take that off the shelf and don't do anything to it, it doesn't do anything for you. So it's getting that level of customization, obviously making sure people know how to interact with the app. It's about connecting them. Uh, it's about creating automations, you know, either through API, low code, or even RPA where, you know, the API or low code doesn't work. But, you know, it, it's how you tie all that together. It's how you design a use case around it, how you get people familiar with where these automations occur, what triggers them, so on and so forth. I mean, we're not trying to build proprietary software like a proprietary CRM to replace HubSpot. Like there's no reason for us to do that because HubSpot is a great app and they're, you know, well-funded to continue that product roadmap, right? We just want to layer on top of it, um, you know, and uh, customize it for our use case so that we're really operating as efficiently as we can throughout the stack. And also, you know, we're working on creating our own operating system where we bring in all of these apps into a centralized place, you know, to allow for single source of truth and a single touch point area to really use the core functionality of kind of all of that. All right. So, so like I said, I am so intrigued. I could keep going for another hour and I want to, I think maybe you and I are going to have to talk, but we might have to do a part two of this because it is anything that that'll help this profession. I just want to, I get so intrigued with, but we're going to have to wrap up today. Unfortunately, believe me, I'm going to start crying after this because I want to talk more, but we could put the, uh, to be continued dot, 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 uh, at the bottom we'll, of this. We'll do that. We will do that. Uh, I'm sure Justin who does the editing will, will definitely do that. So why don't you give us a, a wrap up what we've talked about today or, or highlight the important things that you, that maybe we missed, or just, you know, give us a little, uh, a, a bow on top of what we've done so far. There's a lot of areas I could go with that. It, this might not be as, you know, summarizing, but it's been a big thing that's been on my mind is really just intentionality. And I say that because we can do everything we possibly can technology-wise, systems and process-wise, staffing-wise, you know, we can give you everything you need. But if you don't build with intention, all that is still going to result in working way too much. You might make a ton of money because you're super efficient, you charge the right prices, but you know, there's a human element that is a really big focus for us because if we're not helping people read the label if they're inside the jar, you know, then ultimately 
they're going to get to a place of burnout. And I think as a industry, as a profession, that's the existential crisis out there is how do we design firms that, um, you know, don't encourage uh, burnout or don't enforce it, <laughs> you know? Yep. Enforce is huge. Mm-hmm. I think that is a big part of part two of our interview because that is one of my biggest passions right now is talking about burnout in the profession and how we can avoid it. And, and if we don't avoid it, what the problem is, and it's, I share my personal story. So it's a lot of fun to talk about because I think I see it helping people. Mm-hmm. All right. Two final questions. And the last one will be contact information. But before that is, and and the funny thing is, when I was starting to research you for this, I'm like, oh, I got to introduce you to John Garrett. You would be great for a show. And then I just found out you were on his show uh, recently. So, yep. um, but the final question that I have, and I did not steal this from John. <laughs> What's um, my hand? It, well, it's basically what I asked from the beginning is what's your outside of work passion? So yes, your and, which I, I know what you said on John's. I assume it'll be the same thing, but uh, what do you like doing when you're not working? Yeah. I mean, I am an introvert. So part of that is just some me time. A lot of accountants can probably relate to that. Yep. We have to turn a switch on, you know, at certain points of our day. Uh, but I recharge, you know, in solo time uh, and time with my wife, but uh love to golf. I love sports, especially football. I'm a huge Oregon Ducks and uh, Seattle Seahawks fan, um, you know, and spending time with friends and family traveling and, you know, just mixing it up because I'm in this house working too many hours as it is. So you're not supposed to be working that many hours. That's the whole point of what uh, we're doing, right? I know. I should all just right. take my own medicine. <laughs> exactly. That's what I say sometimes. So, all right. And then finally, if people want to find out more about Dark Horse or you, I didn't even get to ask you about the hat today, so we'll do that next time. But if they want to find out more about uh, you and Dark Horse, where would they look? Yeah. So on the accountant side, in terms of how we're serving accountants and you know what our model is, uh, a better way.cpa is a website to find that out. Uh, our client facing site is darkhorse.cpa. But you know, if you want to really start a conversation, you can fill out, you know, a form on a better way.cpa or just reach out directly to me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. My name is unique enough that uh, if you search for it, you'll find it. All right. Well, thanks again, Chase, for doing this. You and I will talk uh, after, but I think we'll we'll schedule this again. And, and just again, thank you so much for being on today. Absolutely. Thanks, Randy. And looking forward to part two. Thank you for joining us today on the Unique CPA. You can find the show notes for today's episode and learn more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and leave a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting app. And join us next time for more expertise and insights on The Unique CPA. Professionalproductions.net